Funding for Here and Now Anytime comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com. Hi, this is Here and Now Anytime, where we give you a little news, a little something you weren't expecting, and always a fresh, in-depth perspective on current events, arts and culture, and stories that matter. Subscribe or follow to get all our episodes out every weekday. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend about us to help spread the word. Now here's the show. Enough is enough. We can do so much better, but not if we keep electing the same kind of typical partisan politicians. A surprise entry in the Senate race in Maryland could tilt the balance of power in November. It's Monday, February 12th, and this is Here and Now Anytime from NPR and WBUR Boston. I'm Chris Bentley. Today on the show... Chinese electric vehicle maker BYD has overtaken Tesla in sales, and one automotive expert says that's just the beginning. Also, actor Zach Woods says he's a big fan of public radio. I rely on it and love it. And also maybe it's like the overeducated cockroach in the apocalypse, which you just cannot kill. His new show, In the Know, parodies the third most popular show on NPR, which in real life is us that interview coming up in about 15 minutes. But first, former Maryland governor Larry Hogan is popular in his home state. So his surprise announcement that he's running for an open Senate seat there is shaking up the race. And we've got eyes on another key Senate race in Montana, where there's now a Republican primary brewing with the entry of Congressman Matt Rosendale. Nathan Gonzalez has been watching it all. He's editor and publisher of the newsletter Inside Elections, and he spoke to Robin Young. You're right. The Republicans are well-positioned to win back control of the Senate in November. Flesh that out, because we know if Donald Trump wins the presidency, Republicans then have a vice president vote in case of a tie. So what's the math in the Senate? Well, the Senate majority is is hanging in the balance. Republicans only need a net gain of one seat if they win the White House, because then the vice president could break tie votes. And right now they have a, essentially or effectively one seat in the bank with West Virginia, the seat that Joe Manchin is leaving. Uh, he's not running mm-hmm. for re-election. Republicans are going to win that. So if Trump wins the White House, then Republicans control the Senate. Let's yeah. say Trump doesn't win the White House, then Republicans need to gain a second seat. They have uh, more than a handful of opportunities, but the focus is really on Ohio and Montana, where two Democratic senators are running for re-election in states that Trump was won in the past, and Trump was likely to win again, even if he doesn't win the overall race. Boy, it's razor thin. And we're going to get to Montana in a second. But You know, this is why Senate GOP leaders are making a real effort to pick candidates who can win in a general election. Hogan must have been a no-brainer. Right. It was just unclear. Hogan was always the focus of recruiting. It was just unclear whether he was willing to do it. Mm-hmm. And he and they show and he showed at the last at the last second that he, he's jumping into the race. It's still going to be a difficult fight for Hogan, but it forces Republicans or it forces Democrats to play defense in a state that they weren't planning on playing defense in the general election when they have a whole host of other incumbents that they're trying to defend around the country. Right. But still, you only move the Maryland Senate race from the solid Democratic column to the likely Democratic column. 
Right, because yeah. our, our ratings are balanced between where a race is today and where we think it's going to end up. If the Ameri- if the Maryland Senate election were held today, I think Hogan would win. But I think as voters um, learn about more of the stakes of the election, they mm-hmm. they think about it in a partisan terms about which party is going to control the Senate, then it's going to be more difficult for them. Republicans haven't won a federal statewide race in Maryland in over 30 years. This is a state that Biden's likely to carry by more than 30 points, even if he doesn't win re-election. And so it's going to be tough for Hogan, even though he's the biggest name and the best recruit Republicans could get. Well, and Democrats might see him as the one person who is willing to speak up against Donald Trump. However, uh, the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee came out with a statement on Friday that a vote for Republican Larry Hogan is a vote to make Mitch McConnell majority leader and turn the Senate over to Republicans so they can pass a national abortion ban. And as you're saying, more things like that, you know, perhaps that they'll have a different view. But I want to make sure we have time for Montana. Mm-hmm. You say it's a toss-up. One of the two most important Senate races in the country, as you said, along with Ohio. Biden likely to lose in Montana, but incumbent Democrat John Tester uh, got welcome news on Friday when Congressman Matt Rosendale entered the race, giving businessman and former Navy SEAL Tim Shee a primary challenger. So now the Republicans are fighting it out. That gives John Tester a little breathing room, but is causing Republicans a problem. Right. It gives Tester a little bit more time to continue to, to cultivate his brand. Uh, but this is really a fight between Republican strategists believe that Tim Sheehy will be the best candidate because he's a fresher face. He's wealthy. He's been spending millions of dollars. They hope he will spend millions of dollars more. In contrast with Rosendale, who's been elected statewide, but he also lost the 2018 race to Tester. He is not a good fundraiser. It's going to be more expensive for the party to try to get uh, to, to try to defeat Tester if Rosendale's the nominee. And this is just going to, it's, the primary is going to take up time before they can really focus on Tester. Right. And on Friday, former President Trump said he respects Rosendale, but he's endorsing Sheehy. Rosendale, in turn, said, I love President Trump. So you have two <laughs> Republicans who love President Trump, and it's sort of, there's no distinction there. Right. You'd rather have you'd rather have the endorsement than not, and so that's why she he getting Trump's endorsement uh, is is important. And there was an odd where Speaker Mike Johnson endorsed Rosendale for about an hour and a half, and then I think he got some call from Senate folks that said, "No, this is not. We're not. We want Sheehy. and so he backtracked on that yeah. and, and is more and is more neutral. And former President Trump, of course, is what I meant to say. But um, just a few seconds here, just just give us one or two races Democrats have got to defend. Well, beyond the ones we've talked about, they're also on defense in Pennsylvania with Bob Casey Jr., Nevada with Jackie Rosen, Wisconsin, Tammy Baldwin, an open seat in Michigan. Democrats are on defense. They have to run the table, but Republicans have to nominate great candidates. Nathan Gonzalez, editor and publisher of the newsletter Inside Elections, we highly recommend. Thank you so much. Thanks, Robin. Good to talk to you. You too. Coming up next, what's the secret behind Chinese Tesla killer BYD's success? Find out after the break. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit SAATVA.com slash NPR and save an additional $200. On NPR's Throughline. We cannot function for 24 hours without COBOL because it's in our smartphone, our tablet, our laptop. 
And as a consequence, the lives of the people living in that part of the Congo descended into just a catastrophe. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Taylor Swift has dropped a new album. She is the biggest pop star in the world, and everything she does makes news. I gasped. I was like, oh my God, I've been there, and you can identify with it. For a breakdown of Taylor Swift and her new album, The Tortured Poets Department, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. The biggest seller of electric vehicles isn't Tesla. It's the Chinese company BYD. Back in the 90s, they were just making cell phone batteries, but they moved into EVs in 2010. And while you haven't yet seen their cars on American streets, you might have seen one of their electric buses. We wanted to learn more about the company, so we called up Tu Lee of Sino Auto Insights. He spoke to Scott Tong. Can I start with how BYD electric cars drive? I read reviews on the the sporty sedan, the BYD Seal. It's trying to take on the Tesla Model 3 and compete against the Hyundai Ioniq 6. How does it drive? I think uh, it drives really well. We have to look at the target market, and they're not looking for some speedy vehicle that can ride on rails. I think it's going to compete just fine against those vehicles. It already does with the Tesla Model 3 in China anyways. Yeah. Well, let's go uh, back quickly to the origin story of this company. I I went down to BYD headquarters in the southern city of Shenzhen, this entrepreneurial Chinese city in southern China. And that was back around 2008, and they came out with one of the first plug-in cars in the world. You know, BYD stands for Build Your Dreams. Long before that, though, they were a battery company. And then they acquired a car maker. Warren Buffett put in, say, $200 million into the company. When you look at the company's history, what strikes you about it? I think their ability to adapt, evolve, and uh, look at their long-term planning and how they're able to move from the consumer uh, technology space into the automotive space and take advantage of the fact that they're experts at chip fabrication and battery cell technology and incorporate that into the products that they're currently selling and that are dominating the market right now. Yeah. You've been inside several of these BYD electric vehicles. How fun is it inside? You know, are they comfortable? Are they colorful? Is there something on the inside that is similar or different to, say, a Hyundai or a Tesla? All of the above. Not only have I been in BYD vehicles, but I've been in a lot of different Chinese cars. Mm. And so I would say that because they focus more on growth and understanding the mass market, they're not as technology forward as some of their Chinese competitors, but Mm. I think they'll also get there eventually. Now, a Western consumer might not like some of the features or some of the, the kitschy colors because, as you can probably recall, China, there's a lot of lights going on, a lot of neon, just sensory overload sometimes. But again, huh. they're going to quickly learn because, as you know, in 2008, they weren't a very good automotive player, but now they're kind of dominating in the most important segment in the world. So I, I wouldn't bet against them, that's for sure. Yeah. So is it, say, for an American consumer, a little brighter, a little maybe showier than, you know, what we might be used to here in the U.S.? 
For sure, for sure. So I'll give you a quick example. Uh, a BMW Cadillac owner might be 65, 70 years old in Europe and the United States. Those same buyers are 20 years younger in China. So different taste, different understanding of what design and style is. Yeah. Um, so when, when you then think about the green car market and, and reducing carbon emissions, you know, is BYD kind of at the center of what, you know, China, Chinese companies are doing to reduce their emissions? They are. Uh, so um, they sold just over 3 million cars, most of them in China last year. And in Q4, as you mentioned earlier, they overtook Tesla uh, for just the battery electric vehicle side in mm -hmm. China. So they are continuously increasing sales month over month, quarter over quarter. Yeah. So, so give us an idea of when the day comes that BYD introduces its line of plug-in electric vehicles, full electric vehicles in, in the U.S. market. What would you foresee kind of a general price range being? I think they would play in the sub $40,000 price point. And I think that's what concerns a lot of government officials in Europe and the United States, because the U.S. market is the second largest market in the world. So they see a huge opportunity with growth yeah. and, mm. and being a major player in this market. And so I think they'd be really, really aggressive. And I do see BYD taking global share on the mass market side all over the world over the next several years. Does BYD plan to introduce its passenger vehicles into the U.S. market anytime soon? Or are we still waiting for that? I think most Chinese EV makers are going to wait at least through the election in November and then assess who the administration is in 2025 and beyond and then uh, make a final assessment. But I do anticipate at least two or three, maybe a handful of Chinese EV players announcing they're entering the market by 2025. We've been talking to Tu Lee, Managing Director of Sino Auto Insights. Tu, thanks for the time. Thanks for having me. Coming up, we NPR people are easy to parody. Even if I can say in our defense that we're a long way from the days of the delicious dish on SNL. More on that later, by the way. After the break, Robin Young who hosts the actual third most popular show on NPR, speaks with two of the creators of the new show, In the Know, the fake third most popular show on NPR. Through the looking glass, when we return. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. Hey, I hear you have a birthday coming up. Yeah, you... If you're listening to this, that means you have a birthday coming up eventually. And here at LifeKit, we want it to be a special one. Magic can happen and good luck can happen and serendipity can happen if we're open to it. How to have a good birthday, even if you're not a birthday person. That's on the LifeKit podcast from NPR. On It's Been a Minute, we're keeping you in the know when it comes to culture. 
I break down the latest trends and the forces behind them and introduce you to the creatives who think deeply about how we live today. Come for some good old cultural analysis and have a few laughs with me. Listen to the It's Been a Minute podcast from NPR. Do you ever wish you could get your stories in three hours rather than three minutes? Or maybe you're sick of doom scrolling, getting your news in bits and pieces. That is where Embedded comes in. We bring you documentary series that will change the way you think about things. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. I have to say, we got a little excited when we heard that there would be a new program on Peacock celebrating the third most popular program on NPR. I mean, not to brag or anything, but that's kind of us. Anywho, then we found out In the Know features a neurotic white, politically correct gas bag host named Lauren Caspian, an animated character like his NPR co-workers, voiced by Zach Woods, who interviews real-life stars like black comedian actor Nicole Byer, who here makes a reference to the game Bop It, where you whack things. Lauren agrees. Yes, exactly. When there's those rodents that appear and you bop them with the mallet. Is that right? (laughs) No, I meant the toy. Like, bop it, twist it, pull it. Whack-a-mole. No, it's called bop it. You know, it's like a game. It's a a black thing. It says bop it in the middle. It's a black thing. That's why I don't understand. (laughs) And I would never appropriate the culture. Bop it. It's like hip-hop it and bop it. And this is a black thing. And I would never deign to enter into that cultural space unless invited. Okay, mock him, but aren't we, sorry, isn't he just trying to be respectful? Or are we, is he, just being smugly holier than thou? Gack. The show was created by Mike Judge of Beavis and Butthead fame, Brandon Gardner of the Upright Citizens Brigade, and Zach Woods of The Office. I think we have Zach and Brandon. This is Brandon. Do we have the other? Hi, Robin, and this is Zach. Oh, the other trader. Oh, hi. (laughs) How are you? (laughs) A couple of Benedict Arnolds. Oh, my goodness. No white liberal stereotype is left behind. Uh, (laughs) Your personal Judas. I apologize. (laughs) If it's any consolation like the actual Judas, I live in hell (laughs) of my own making. (laughs) I am a little self-conscious right now. I have to say, Zach, I I laughed out loud when your character, Lauren, says he spells women with a Y. I actually had a show in the 70s called Womankind, Two Ys. That's amazing. Well, well, something that didn't make it into the show was that Lauren used to co-host a feminist radio show where he showed his support by never speaking on the radio show (laughs) with his female co-host. So she had to do all the work, although he was paid the same. You know, I've listened to some of your other interviews with NPR hosts. How are you feeling? I've enjoyed them all. I think everyone has been very gracious with us. Has sort of, of accepted course that. we have <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and, and so I think most people have sort of accepted that we're not really accurately portraying uh, NPR, and and well, they sort of let that go. Well, in some ways, you know, maybe you kind of are. Uh, look, <laughs> this is like therapy for us to hear why people <laughs> you know, people think we're so groveling and overly polite, and then we agree and apologize. <laughs> you know, we we have hair shirts with the NPR logo on it. We know in an attempt to try to, you know, do the right thing, sometimes we arm wrestle ourselves. Yeah, I think we don't feel that we are separate from the characters we're depicting. I think we're using NPR kind of as a framing device for satire pointed at at people like Brandon and I who are these 
hypocrites, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a kind of performative or maybe even a sincere progressivism that isn't really carried out. There's a lot of fun to be had in the distance between people as they describe themselves and think of themselves and people as they are. Okay, so this is about you, not us. I mean, one of the things about narcissism is that everything is about you. (laughs) And uh, so, yes. Again, here's your character, Lauren, interviewing boxer Mike Tyson. Did you ever think in the middle of a bout, I wish I could just look my opponent in the eye and say, I am enough? I do that when I smash his face. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) How much of these, Brendan, are scripted? The only scripted interview is the one between Fabian, who's a producer on the show, doing a pre-interview with Jorge Masvidal, the MMA fighter, because we had a specific story idea for that. Otherwise, how all the interviews work is, is I hop on first on Zoom to just ask them to please treat it like a normal NPR interview. Uh, By the way, I have to pick up on Fabian. She also hosts a podcast, Black Lives Matter More. (laughs) That's right. Um, Very police-like on acceptable language. Your character, Lauren, and Fabian literally get into a fight over what to call a man Lauren invites to live in the station. The man is homeless, but that word is not acceptable. Your character wants, what is it? Unhoused. Unhoused. And Fabian wants... Person currently currently without housing. Right. You know, we didn't want to just create a kind of liberal straw man, like like a straw person, just a straw person, right? <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> person currently full of straw, um, <laughs> because it just seems sort of easy and reductive to to create a a punching bag that's just a collection of stereotypes. And what we tried to do with her is to have her be this punitive, very controlling presence in one way, then in the other way, be someone who has actually been disregarded and dismissed that sort of explains some of why she feels so armored. Because I think often the people who are the who are the most kind of acidic in the way that they talk are often also writhing inside, quite lonely. Zach, you know yes. you just described how NPR hosts approach guests. You know that, oh, right? Oh, that's interesting. Everybody's worth celebrating. I mean... I think that's really probably why I like NPR so much. I mean, mm-hmm. for all of our grenades that we try to roll down the hall in your guys' direction, we are huge <laughs> fans. And I think it's because what you're describing, there's nu- nuances valued and complexity is communicated. Yeah. Where'd you get some of the ideas, Brandon? It feels to us like you have mm-hmm. someone on the inside. Um, <laughs> so a lactation station, even though no one is breastfeeding, and frankly, hopefully no one we've met so far will be allowed to have children. Right. Um, <laughs> an older boss, straight white woman, boring, uh, who is referred to as a boomer witch. Um, mm-hmm. Lauren, is sapiosexual? What is that? Well, he would describe it as someone who's sexually attracted to ideas. And then Fabian, I think, would challenge that because he he only dates straight, white, cis women that look like him. I think he's really worried that if he's not interesting in some way, people won't love him. Yeah. Um, Who is it? (laughs) Lauren is a Frankenstein monster made up of pieces of Terry Gross, Ezra Klein, Malcolm Gladwell, Ira Glass, Michael Barbaro, and... Me and Brandon. <laughs> it's just this uh, unfortunate stitched together creature. I think something that I sometimes hear in public radio or on podcasts is there's this kind of 
intellectually naughty quality where it's like, dare I challenge the sacred cows? Like uh, this kind of provocateur vibe where someone's being puckish in an attempt to be maximally fascinating. And that that drives me bananas where it's like, well, everyone agrees that violence is wrong, but what if it isn't? You know, that kind of thing where it's like, it's like, let's let's turn it on its head. Mm. I think because I grew up in a fam, like a very talky family where there's a degree of kind of verbal one-upsmanship. And so I have a real allergy to that. And yet I still do it. Well, first, I'm pretty sure the NPR hosts on your list are pretty busy up in the firmament of NPR superstars saying, who is that speaking? <laughs> have you heard from any of them? Terry keeps threatening my mom. <laughs> <laughs> I think my mother more, like my mother would always be texting me, like, put this in. One of her particular pet peeves, I guess what I'm wondering, that's one that she, and it's funny, Mm. when we talked to one of our moles on the inside, (laughs) they said that public radio listeners would write the most vicious kind of critiques. If you used a preposition Mm -hmm. incorrectly, I would say whoever's listening, stop sending these verbally abusive (laughs) notes to the people who work there. Well, what about you? I want to know from you. Like, what do you think? What did we miss? Stuff that sounds like you aren't actually speaking to someone in the wake of. You wouldn't Mm. talk to your friend and say, that came in the wake of. (laughs) So we're trying trying not to do that. Right. Yeah. There's like the seriousness of of, an NPR host, but when they are humorous with each other in a way that feels so stiff, let's show them we can have a little bit of fun. (laughs) Like Sweaty Balls, uh, the SNL skit mocking completely repressed NPR cooking show hosts. Now, what's on your list this holiday season, Margaret Jo? Well, Terry, I really got greedy this year. I'm asking Chris Kringle for a wooden bowl, some oversized index cards, and a funnel. Ooh, a funnel. That'll be great for funneling. I know. I I feel like a glutton. It's neat. Santa's fun. Santa's fun. Neat. Yeah, it's fun. Fun. Good times. Good times. This isn't new, but for some reason... Despite this decades of (laughs) mocking, NPR, it's still here. (laughs) It's, I love it. It's valuable and I rely on it. And also maybe it's like the overeducated cockroach in the apocalypse, which you just cannot kill. (laughs) Oh, I smell fundraising (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt. Zach Woods, uh, Brandon Gardner of... In the know, a takedown or send up of NPR, and we're all watching it like crazy. Thank you so much. Thank you. We love you. We're sorry. You know, and truly, we do love you. I listen to your show and I love you. <laughs> and thank you for yeah, having us on. Yeah, that's all right. No, it's sorry. We've broken up. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Take me back. I'll try to find the frequency on my car radio and it'll just be gone. It'll just be a note. <laughs> Canceled. <laughs> <laughs> but just for you. That's our show. Here and Now Anytime comes from the team behind Here and Now from NPR and WBUR Boston. Today's stories were produced by real-life, not-animated characters Lynn Menegon, Adeline Sear, and Karen Miller-Medson. Today's editors were Todd Munt, Peter O'Dowd, Micaela Rodriguez, and Kat Welch. Technical direction from Caleb Green and Michaela Varela. Mike Moschetto wrote our theme music, along with Max Liebman, and me, Chris Bentley. 
Our digital producers are Allison Hagen and Grace Griffin. And the executive producer of Here and Now is Carlene Watson. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you tomorrow. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts. Summer is for going to the movie theater because it's too hot to stay home. It's for driving with the windows down, listening to your favorite music. It's for stretching out while you're on vacation to gobble up a TV show. For a guide to some of the TV, movies, and music we are most excited about this summer, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country. But from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot. On It's Been a Minute from NPR.